Do you ever catch yourself wishing you didn't have to stay positive? Or maybe you've been working on keeping a positive mindset for years, but it still feels like a daily battle sometimes. Having a chronic illness means you're being told to stay positive all the time. And let's be honest, it's exhausting. Because pushing ourselves to stay positive is not actually positive. There's a much easier way to get a strong, positive mindset and all of the feel-good perks that come with it without the pressure of looking on the bright side. Check out my free resource, The No BS Guide to a Positive Mindset. In it, I give the straight scoop on strategies that work and common strategies that are a waste of time and energy. Go to andreahansencoaching.com now or use the link in this podcast description and get your free resource, The No BS Guide to a Positive Mindset, today. Hi, everyone. Today, we're talking to Justine Martin, one of my favorite Aussies. She's one of those people who can do a lot, like running five businesses a lot, but is so relatable, so honest, and just a lovely person who has so much to teach about how she really does everything. Oh, and she does this and more, as you'll find out, with multiple serious diagnoses. So we'll talk about the behind the scenes of getting a lot done when you have limited time and energy, all sorts of tools that she uses every day to stay ahead. And at the end, she opens up about her weight loss journey after gaining weight due to a rare condition that she has. Please enjoy this conversation with a truly remarkable human being that's packed with information that everyone can use and a ton of love. And visit andreahansencoaching.com for more on Justine Martin, resources we talked about in the show, and transcripts from today's episode. Welcome to the Live Your Life, Not Your Diagnosis podcast. I'm Andrea Hansen, author, motivational speaker, and master certified coach. When I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, I was told I would never reach my goals. But I did. And I'm on a mission to prove that life with a chronic illness can still be expansive and quite remarkable. Everyone has their own unique path. I'm talking to people living with a chronic illness that come from different backgrounds, have different points of view, and are achieving amazing life goals of all kinds to inspire you to achieve what you thought was impossible. These stories are raw, uncensored, and judgment-free. This means that there may be some adult language, sensitive topics, and possible triggers for listeners. Listener discretion is advised. I'm here today with Justine Martin. To be resilient means the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties, to show toughness. This definition has been the cornerstone of Justine Martin's extraordinary journey over the last decade, a journey no one could fathom. But in her words, this journey has changed Justine for the better. 11 years ago, she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, then underwent three heart surgeries and battled three primary cancers. Justine was told that she would never work again, but that was never an option for her. Justine catapulted herself into the world of business. She not only changed her life to give it purpose and direction, but also inspired those around her with her story. After learning how to paint and use her art as therapy, she has become a multi-award-winning artist and found the strength and determination to take control of her financial future. She now runs three businesses. Justine Martin is a resilience consultant and speaker, a professional artist, a mom of two, grandmother of six, and the queen of resilience. Welcome, Justine, to the show. I happen to know that you actually haven't even put everything that you do <laughs> in this no. bio. No, I haven't. And it's actually now five businesses. So not oh, three. my gosh. Soon to be six. Oh, my. I mean, so much to talk about. I cannot wait to dive into it. But we actually were just talking about something before we got on the air, which is you just won a competition and you are getting ready to enter a new one. So tell me what that is all about. Well, I've been involved in strength sports for the past 20 odd years. That's giving my age away now. And I competed in Olympic weightlifting as a master's lifter back in 2016. So after I was diagnosed with the MS and after I had the heart surgeries, and I did it for about three, four years and became a state sporting champion, then represented Australia at the 
Masters, Oceanas and the Pacific Rim Championships. And then I got cancer and that took me off the platform. And I wanted to go back and compete. I love competing, not for anyone else's um, purpose, but just for me. And it's like Josie won NS none when I'm on that lifting platform. And it is a mind over matter thing. And it took me, well, from 2016 to early 2022 to get back on there. COVID had a little bit of a play in the middle of it. So I was all right. to go into a powerlifting comp two years ago and then the world shut down. So that wasn't possible. And then with the world opening up again, competitions have started and I entered my first strong man event, even though I'm a woman. They don't <laughs> call it strong person or, or strong female, strong man, but that's okay. As in uh, all abilities athlete. So not with the able body ones that I had when I was competing in Olympic weightlifting, but with all abilities and I won much to my, That's much awesome. to my disbelief. You're and so humble about this. I love how you're downplaying the fact that you're like an Olympic lifter. <laughs> uh, well, this was different than the, the strongman events and I'm like, yes, I'm back. And, That's you fantastic. Know, it's, it's taken me six years. Uh, to get back on there. So, you know, overcoming adversity doesn't happen overnight. Right. Sometimes it takes a long time, but, you know, just little steps each week and looking towards that goal and not looking focus on what your goal is. And you can take mm -hmm. that into any anything. It doesn't have to just be a sporting um, activity. Uh, and, yeah, I'm back. I'm back, baby. I'm back. And uh, <laughs> I've gone and I've gone and signed up for another one, which is in three weeks' time. So that's going to be interesting because I've just had a month of touring around Australia, up to the far north coast of uh, Australia, so about three and a half thousand kilometres from here. And yeah, it took a month of training, so I've only just come back into training this week. I'm very sore, and then three days a week training, and yeah, we'll see what happens. I think that's amazing. You know, sometimes taking time off is like surprising because then you come back and you're like holy cow i was expecting to be set back but really you're not and it's almost exactly what your body needs sometimes so yeah but I, well no, i don't know about that this week i'm like <laughs> holy cow my body's hurting i did some box squats on, on wednesday and yeah my thighs are my glutamus maximus and minimus so my ass cheeks are really sore Squats will always get you good soap. So that's the difference. Like that pain that I experience spurs me on because I'm still able to produce that exercise and then that, therefore that pain. And it's like, right, well, I'll go back in and do that again. Where I it's not am nerve with you. Pain. Yes, I am with you. I love a good workout soreness. Like I love, love when my ass cheeks hurt. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> because I've done a lot of squats and you're exactly right. It, it's, it's a good pain because it means that we are doing this and yes. still are doing this and still are able to put our bodies in mm -hmm. a tip top condition. That's right. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. <laughs> so you mentioned, and I think this is really interesting because I wanted to go into this because a lot of times people have these goals that they want. Maybe it's not going into a strongman competition, but it could be in their business. It can be in anything. Yeah. How do you approach, like walk me through your approach, start to finish with your goal setting and how you look at it? So I'll have a goal. I'll think of something and well, let's talk about Morpheus Publishing, which is my latest business that's about to happen. So how that came about and the goals in order uh, to do that was I just written and illustrated last year a children's book and I've submitted it off to 31 publishers and I got five contracts back, which I thought was pretty good going. And I'm like, that is oh, great. I'm onto something here. Yeah. But not one of those contracts would do what I wanted it to do. And that was use my artwork in it for limited edition prints and cards and stuffed toys and library bags and linen and everything. And they wouldn't let me do that. 
And so I was here with my PR girl and I went off to the toilet and I was only gone a minute and I came back and I went, I'm going to start a publishing house. She's like, what? You're only gone for a minute? I said, that's all it takes for a good idea. Now, the difference in having a good idea and then following through is sitting down and working out, okay, well, that's my goal is to have a publishing house, but what do I need to do in order to achieve that? So it's then breaking that end result down into smaller bite-sized chunks in a SMART goal, which is small, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely um, in order to achieve it. So then it was like, okay, when do I want this? What's, What's the length of this goal? When do I want to achieve it? And for me, Morpheus Publishing starts on the 15th of July. So that night we're having a VIP night where Morpheus will be, you know, released to the world, so to speak. But that's the launch of my children's book as well. So the first book that I'm printing, I decided would be my children's. And then from that, it's like, okay, well, what other books can I get out in the next six months? And I've got three more that um, are looking at coming. Well, that will be published. From so different authors or from you? From me. Yeah, you know, nothing like Unbelievable. <laughs> So then I sat down and went, okay, what do I need to do in order to make Milfius happen? So I need a logo. Right, well, when do I want that done by? And who needs to do it? Oh, I have a big piece of paper and I do a mind map on it. Uh, and I, like I to love it. a mind map. Yeah, love it. Me too. And I do that with everything. And I call them a mud map. A <laughs> mud map? Yeah. Trying to get out of the shit, you know. <laughs> where, oh, yeah. Yeah. Where, yeah. where can I go with this? <laughs> so I sat down in the mind and went, okay, now let's put some realistic times on, on all of that. You transfer that onto a sheet, an Excel spreadsheet on what we need to do in order to achieve it. So that in, that's how I do a business goal. And it's very similar to a personal goal. So competing it's like at the end of June, it's okay, well, I need to go to the gym three times a week. I need to improve my my eating. I need to make sure I'm drinking enough water. I need to make sure that I'm getting enough sleep. So in order to achieve just getting on the platform at that particular date, I have to do all of these things in order to achieve that goal. So it's not just saying, oh, well, I'm going to compete at the end of the month and then rock up and not have any preparation for it. So I want to buy a new car. So um, that's at the end of next year. Okay, well, in order to do that, I need to put some money away for savings and then break it down. Am I going to get get it on lease or am I going to get a loan or am I going to pay for it outright? So people don't realise that they're actually setting goals, but make sure that they're realistic. You know, it would be unrealistic for me to say I'm going to buy a $150,000 motor car in the next three weeks. Right. But it's realistic for me to say in the next 18 months, I'm going to purchase $150,000 motor car. And I think that's key because I'm with you. Number one, I'm, I am really scary organized when it comes to like my spreadsheets and all that. Because I, I need to be organized because I knew I liked you for a reason. but here's where here's where i get tripped up with goals and i think a lot of people get tripped up with goals is you have your timeline and you think okay this is realistic but then you start going through and you realize like oh crap this was supposed to be done yesterday and now today it's like i just can't do anything today because i like maybe i can do one thing today because either something is happening in life or we just don't have energy or something happens. And then all of a sudden that just kind of ripples out. And then you look at it and you're like, well, damn. You know? <laughs> and then it just feels like it gets out of control. So how do you, do you build in buffers? Like how do you do that when things are just not falling into place? Mine helps. We'll throw a curveball at any particular time. And so we don't keep up. We just modify. Like, okay, well, that's not going to work for me. That time that I've given it isn't going to work for me. I've had an adversity crop up, could be stuck in bed for a few days or something will happen. And it's okay, well, let's just push it out a week. Let's push it out a week. I've lost a week. Let's push it out a week. Or let's push it out two weeks. Well, that was a little bit unrealistic. What are you thinking, Justine? You bloody idiot. Let's push (laughs) it out a month or let's push it out two months. All right. Because it's your goal, it's not locked in cement. 
I think that's a really important thing to know. I heard two things out of that that I think are super important and need to be repeated. I think number one is the kindness to yourself, right? It's like, look, it happens. Sometimes life gets in in the way. I have multiple sclerosis like you do. And it's like, sometimes you just, you can't, you just got to stay in bed for the day or whatever it is. And you just have to have that kindness and say like, look, let's just reassess. Let's just, let's just push it out. Let's just, it's, it's okay. Yeah. And um, and then I forgot what the other one is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you've got in there and there's brain fart like I do. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It happens quite often. If the goal is work-related and someone else is involved in it, I give ample time in yes. setting a deadline. If it's just That's what it was. one of my goals and I know that it's achievable, I'll set it in that particular time and nine times out of ten I'll knock that goal the thing with achieving so much is is that that I very rarely procrastinate everyone says to me how do you how do you run five businesses soon to be six where do you find the tolerance how do you how are you reaching all your goals all the time it's because I don't procrastinate you know don't put off today and what's the say I put off till tomorrow what you can do today right and um I wake up every day and I have my A list and my B list and I tick off those things each and every day. And I've got a big blackboard beside me, which you can see, Adria. It's full of goals for the week um, to tick off. So I do put a little bit of pressure on myself um, because I am my own boss and that expectation that those things do have to, you know, be done. But I always do the most important thing every day on my A-list so that it's done and then start working through, okay, well, that didn't get completed today and that's the most important thing that goes the next day right. to my A-list. And it's just circulating through them and adding more onto it. And staying so. on top of it. And you reminded me, the second thing is I think a lot of times we get a little bit shy when we are working with other people. And then the deadline gets pushed out. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, I feel so bad. Or I owe this to somebody. And that can really ramp up the pressure when we have other people involved. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where that communication comes into play. And again, I think it's kindness to yourself, but it's being able to say like, look, I have MS. I have fill in the blank uh, chronic illness and just be open and have that honest communication with somebody. And you know what, if they're not okay with it, then you're working with the wrong person. And a full disclosure for people to people as well. If you're having a bad day or a bad week, people, people will understand. I'm sorry. I can't reach that deadline at the other week. I'm going to be in hospital this week because I've got something happening and can we please push it out another week? No one's going to have and most people will accommodate you. And because you're being open, honest and authentic, far better than lying and being passive and, and living in fear. Yeah. Um, we all know what those conversations are like when we're mm-hmm. talking to somebody and we know they're not being transparent. We know they're holding back. We know they're not telling the whole truth and they're being a little cagey. You don't yeah. have the same compassion for a person if they're not just completely honest and i know it can be hard because puts it puts us in a vulnerable position it takes a lot of courage it takes a lot of vulnerability to say i'm having a bad day i had to spend the weekend in bed i my recovery from that speaking engagement has taken longer than i thought that's something that happens with me (laughs) a lot it's like okay recovery not where i thought it would be do you not set your diary out that you have a quiet day after a busy day? I do, but sometimes I need two. Sometimes it creeps up and I yeah. need three or I'm not able to ramp back up as much as I anticipate it. It I'm just depends. You. Yeah. And, and do you find now that I know my inner circle know without even asking me that I'm having a bad day? They can now look at me and they'll quite often say, you're, you're having a bad day, aren't you? Because I'll push through and I'm like, yeah, I'm not good today. And so my inner circle realize that. And quite often as well, I'll tell the outside world, you know, I'll, I'm um, all about being authentic. And the Instagram 
influencer that puts it out that their life is perfect. That to me is just bullshit. I've shared with on my socials my cancer journey, my MS journey. So yesterday I had an ultrasound on my neck. I um, had an MSR, uh, MS MRI. And um, it showed that I've got a lump in my neck. And so rather than them just sit and let's see what happens in the next six months, I was in for an ultrasound. And then the ultrasound yesterday showed that there's not one lump, but there's two lumps. And so that that's just another adversity at the moment that I'm facing. And it's like, okay, well, do I think of the bad thing or do I think of the good thing? And I'm like, well, to me, they're just cysts. They'll just be cysts and they'll just, they'll just monitor them. Haven't got the results yet. That'll happen in, in the next uh, week or so. You know, there's always something happening. And so I got on the facey and just said, you know, I've just had, I had the MRI and I put my MRI up and shown them all the lump. And, and there is generally a lot of people that are interested. And by me sharing my story, it's someone else's survival guide. Oh, if Jazzy can do that and I can do that. And I quite often get inboxes saying, thanks to you, I went to the doctor and I got my skin checked and I've got melanoma that I would never have known. And I'm now acting on it. Or thanks to you, I see what you can do with you when you've got MS. That inspires me that I can go out and do stuff as well. And I love that. I love yeah, that. You know, yeah. people are using my story as their survival guide. So when you have a bad day, be authentic. You know, tell people around you, today's not a good day. My cognitive's not going to be on point. I'm going to have a lot of brain farts in our case with MS. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you just have to bear with me. So, yeah. But what annoys me the most, Andrew, is when people say to me, oh, you're doing too much. I'm sorry, that's your false belief. That's not more. Just like when my neurologist said to me, you'll never work again. I know. Yes. I mean, Justine, that's the reason for this podcast is because we get told things like that. Mm -hmm. And I'm mm -hmm. like, that's not true. I think it's projection. I think it's their own fears. I think there's so much that goes into that. But mm -hmm. I'm with you when someone is judging. And we all know, right? It's icky mm -hmm. when somebody judges us and you can tell because they're judging it based on what they think not on what's actually happening and yeah. what's going on in our brains yep. <laughs> it's like i don't even think you're talking to me right now like what do you even you know like <laughs> if you knew me you wouldn't be saying that you wouldn't be saying that yeah, yeah that's no that's right. exactly right that's exactly right so like i said i this podcast was born because i faced that same thing Right. People telling me like, you're just going to have to slow down. Yeah. I was, I was young when I was diagnosed and I had all my dreams ahead of me and they were basically telling me that that wasn't going to happen. It's not going to happen. Just go ahead and, and give up on those, uh, do something, you know, boring and quiet. And that killed me, especially since I didn't listen. I was like you, I was like, screw that. <laughs> So that's why I wanted to do this podcast is because I want to talk to people who are like you or like me who said, screw that. You can totally do what you want to do. You can be successful. You can have a remarkable life, a fulfilling life while you're living with a chronic illness. Yep. So I'm looking at you. And like I said, this, your bio didn't even scratch the surface. No, it doesn't. <laughs> like your 20 businesses and all of your awards and your art, which is amazing. Thank you. So talk to me. I look at you and I think, wow, you're super successful. But tell me what success means to you. It means I have the freedom to choose. It means the way that my businesses are structured, that if I need to spend a day in bed, I can. It's about to me, building residual income that then puts me around my disabilities. When the doctor said to me, oh, you better find a hobby and have a lot of time on your hands, <laughs> I'd always wanted to learn how to paint. And I'd done hobby ceramics back in the early 90s. And I'm one of these people that if I set my mind to something, I excel in it. And that's just the way that it's always been. I ended up supplying five shops with hobbies and ceramics and won awards doing that. So then when I took up the paintbrush, now it wasn't easy. It wasn't a case of, okay, well, he told me to go find a hobby and the next day I was in an art studio. I had such major anxiety that it took me four months to walk in that art studio door. 
which my girlfriend read. I knew, I knew the artist, but I'd drive there every week and I'd sit outside and I'm like, nah, fuck them. And it was getting worse and worse and I'd drive home in tears and it'd be like, what are you doing? And I'd gone from the corporate life to sitting at home in four walls and those four walls were my sanctuary, but they were also becoming my jail. And people could probably relate to that with COVID and being in lockdowns. Same kind of thing. You're safe in your house, but then all of a sudden it's becoming your jail. And and that's what was happening. So I finally, one day I drove there and I'm like, just look inside. What's the worst that can happen? What's, and cause I built it all up in my head. And so I walked inside and sat down and took to it like a duck to water and loved it and started creating. And now I've gone from earning, you know, good money uh, to nothing overnight and being solely relying on another human being. Uh, to feed me and my children and put a roof over our head and having to ask for money for absolutely everything. And that was demoralising. And then I entered my first art exhibition and uh, against, I don't want to say normal people because I don't think there is such a thing as normal. (laughs) (laughs) I I am with you. I also, yeah, I also don't think there's normal. I think that's a fallacy. Yes. Uh, let's just say able-bodied people. Right. And, um, <laughs> and I sold my first piece for $300 five months after starting to learn how to paint. That could have been a million dollars to me because it meant the world. It meant that I still had some purpose in life because I really questioned what my purpose was going to be. And if I couldn't earn money and pay tax and I was a burden on society with the amount of medical so in Australia, we have Medicare and, and I was going to be a burden to everyone. So that was an issue. And from that, it just kind of escalated and I started winning awards and I'm like, wow, I think I'm pretty good at this. And then I, and I was doing like community classes and the goal just kept, the goalposts just kept getting bigger and bigger. And, and I, I just kept ticking them off and it's like, I've reached that goal. What's the next sign? And there's a TV program called Colour in Your Life, which you can watch on YouTube, but it's shown on a lot of streaming platforms as well. And what I used to call that my university. So I had the University of YouTube and the University of Colour in Your Life where they interview an artist for half an hour and they show tips and hints and, and oh, cool. their work. And I'm like, one day I'm going to be on that. And I reached that goal in 2018. Oh my gosh. And was on, on that show. And that show now for the space gurus out there, that show is going on Elon Musk's rocket to the moon in a time capsule at the end of next year. So November, 2023. Oh, no way. Yeah. So my artwork's going to be preserved in a time capsule uh, forever on the moon. So some alien sometimes down the track. That's amazing. What, what were you, what did you paint for that? Oh, I painted the dash hound, Remy, for that one. So big, bold, bright animals that I do. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, and so then I thought, well, I want to start, I want to help other disabled people with the opportunities that have come from me creating art and went to open up art wellness classes and then got diagnosed with cancer. And I didn't get diagnosed with one cancer, I got diagnosed with three and two other blood conditions all at the same time. Oh my gosh. And all the way through that, at not, at not one point did I really think that I was going to die. It's like, well, I'm going to. I'm going to beat these bad cells. Never really called it cancer either. They were just bad cells in my body that the, the magic juice had to had to kill off. And and that's what happened. And then when I went into remission, and that did take nearly three years, but I opened up the art wellness classes. And During those last, three years? Pardon? During those three years is when no, you opened? No, I, I continued to do art in that three years and continued to put in two solo exhibitions at places and put my artwork out there and keynote speak as well. And I was really big here in Victoria on the voluntary assisted dying that um, they were trying to get in to make legal. So my story and I was keynote speaking on, on that and through all of it. And that got through parliament 
and oh, wow. really proud of myself in helping. Realize they had that. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, we were the first state to legalize it. And, but what and you're now saying is I'm you a- took time off during that three years. No, I didn't take any time off. What you're saying is you laid low and you did nothing for three no, years while you were looking at that. I, you know, I'd go to hospital and have my chemo and I'd be sitting there drawing. Yeah. Because that to me is my happy place. And I just happened to take now make money out of my happy place. And I thought I was in my dream job back in 2010, beginning of 2011. I'd worked my whole career and... I had blinkers on and there wasn't going to be anything else in life. This is where I was meant to be. This is what I was meant to do. And I had it so wrong. So, so wrong. And I I love my life now despite having chronic illnesses. And I'm probably, this is going to sound strange, I'm probably the healthiest I have been in my whole life because I exercise regularly. I drink my water. I eat food that doesn't have many preservatives. I haven't had a new brain lesion since 2015, which when you're an MS and you'll know how epic that is. And you know, I, I don't feel that my body's so much in flatly me anymore. I'm, you know, I'm on top of that. And I have all the coping mechanisms put on by, in place and I know how, I know what to look for. If this is happening, I, I know I need to slow down and, and I do slow down for a period of time until I can regroup. And we don't give up, we modify and, and like, okay, well, if I have to work from bed today, I'll work from bed and I'll write, I'll, I'll sit in bed and I'll write my book. Yes. I, yeah, I have the same thing, like categories of things. And so I, sometimes I need one thing that I want to do today and I could pick any of these categories. And sometimes you're right. Sometimes it's like, I'm just going to write today. Or sometimes it's like, no, you know what? I've got the energy. I'm going to be doing outreach. I'm going to be doing email. And when sometimes all you can do is research. I've also outsourced. I think you, know, you don't do it all yourself. There's no way I could run all this by myself. And, you know, Jazzed Art Wellness classes are now up and running and I have teachers that come in and help teach. So I'm not in the studio every day teaching. There's other other teachers coming in and you're now like the principal and the top. So that's pretty cool. Which then it's freed up time that I can put into their go decals or Morpheus Publishing or Resilience Mindset. So and resilience mindset was born because everyone kept saying to me, how can you be so positive? What's uh-huh. your secret? Yeah. Know, how do you do it? How do you do this? And I've been an MS ambassador in Victoria, so keynote speaking and doing that for the last seven years. And, and everyone's like, you need to go out and tell me a story. And Stories are so powerful. Yeah. And, oh, you're an inspiration. I hate that word, by the way. I hate inspiration. I'd rather be known as a motivator than someone who just inspires. You know, well, what's the difference to you? Well, one's more of an action item, isn't it? Mm. So if I can motivate someone to actually make their life better and they go and action it rather than, well, you can inspire someone, they may not do anything from that. Yeah. I get the same thing. People tell me all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That I'm an inspiration. I think it's, I think when I hear someone inspires and, and when I talk about it, I think about the mindset piece of things. Mm. And the way I look at goals is before you do really anything, you've got to get that mindset piece first. And mm. so to me, the inspiration is, it's almost like that modeling theory, right? It's what, who is it? Bandura. It's like, if you can hear that somebody is doing something or see somebody doing something, it automatically helps you know that you can do it too. And to mm. me, that's the inspiration. And once you believe that you can do it too, then you can go on and use that motivation to actually take those steps. So that's what I think. I think of Inspire as being like part of that. My mom always told me positivity. there's no such word as current. So that was the way that we were brought up. There's no such word as can't. And always say yes and then work out how you're going to do it. Yeah. And th- and I think that's the really interesting part of it is like nobody knew what positive mindset was, right? <laughs> like we didn't talk about it. Like it wasn't a thing. But I was raised kind of the same way where you you figure it out. Everything can be figured out. Let's look at your solution. My dad was a scientist. And so he was always about what can we do? What can we look at? Where are the facts? How can we do it? My mom is British. So 
<laughs> she was always like, fuck up and figure it out. But I was, I was raised with that. And yep. it's similar to you. I love that I was raised that way. I think it's an asset to never, or not never, but rarely think anything different, even though I need to sit in my feelings, maybe, maybe I need a moment, I need to process, I need to do something. But at the end of the day, I always know it's going to be okay. I always know it's going to be figure outable. I always know that, you know, life is going to go on. So I ask people, is the glass half full or is the glass half empty? Mm -hmm. What is it for you, Andrea? Uh, it's full. For me, it's always refillable. Duh. I knew there was a trick question in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's always refillable and you can choose what you want to fill it up with. Yeah. That yeah. You, can. you can choose. And, and I think to me, choice. You know, and this goes back to what we were just talking about, choice. I can choose to stay in bed and have self-pity. I could choose that, but I choose not to. And I get all the time, oh, I don't know how you handle it all if that was me. I wouldn't be able to do this. And I'm like, don't say that. Because until you're put into a position like we are, you don't know how you're going to cope with it. And we all have that choice. We all have the choice whether we want to and even if you don't have anything wrong with you, you have the choice whether you want to get out of bed in the morning um, and stay alive or whether you want to not eat forever and, and die. So we have that choice and, and I choose this pathway. I choose to be happy because it's far less energy to be positive and happy than one of these to be negative and grumpy all the time. Oh my gosh, that is so true. I... I always teach that when, when you're tired, when you have fatigue, a lot of that can be what you're putting on yourself. It's, a lot of that can be that negativity. It can be beating yourself up. It mm -hmm. can be, you know, other stuff outside of that. But a lot of times that negative mental energy weighs down more than we think on it yeah. and, and, and just robs our energy. And I think if you're not in a good mindset, then ask for help. Ask for help. So I'm a resilience consultant and I work worldwide thanks to modern technology with Zoom. Right. I help people face the adversities in their life and give them coping strategies and uh, on how to move forward and help them to find the choices that they're making and, and brainstorm with them and, and give them new pathways and and that as well. And not everyone has to go to a counsellor, but if you are struggling, go and find someone to talk to. I've been in and out of counselling now for you know, the last 10 years. And oh, yeah. I wouldn't be where I am today unless I'd sought that help. Um, I am the same way. That was one of, one of the first things I did when I was diagnosed was yep. I went to a therapist because, and you can talk to this too, when when we're diagnosed, and anybody who's diagnosed, it doesn't matter what you're diagnosed with, we are put into a traumatic moment, going through a traumatic situation, and there's grieving that happens, there's processing trauma, there's a lot of that stuff. Yeah. And I still see her today. Like I, I almost think I will never not see her because she's that helpful. Mm -hmm. Just with anything, I think seeing any type of therapist or, you know, psychotherapist or anything like that is hugely helpful. Oh, definitely. And if you don't like the one that you're seeing, find another one. Yes. Like there's, there's options. Find someone that you connect with and that you can be honest and open and raw with. And I don't believe it's my family or my friends or my children's responsibility for me to offload to them. So, you know, I pay someone externally for that to happen and then don't feel guilty because I've offloaded to them because that's their job. But I feel guilty if I'm doing it to my friends because I think, oh, she, here she goes again kind of thing. So, um, yeah. And you can't, I mean, your friends don't see you objectively. No. Your friends aren't going to give you this. They're certainly not going to give you the same advice or whatever that a therapy will. And, but it's even as a coach, it's, it's funny because my friends, would say like, can you coach me on this or whatever? And I'm like, no, I can't because being friends is different than being a coach. 
and you're not going to like me if I, you know, I mean, it's, it's just very different. So yes, I mean, I think friends and family and community are so important to be there for the compassion and to be able to lean on, but they're not there for things like therapy or coaching or that kind of thing. That's where we come into play. Yeah, that's exactly right. That is exactly right. And so that's how Resilience Mindset was born. And from that, I've co-authored books and um, I'm writing my own book on resilience at the moment. And because when everyone asks me, well, how come you're so positive? What are your secrets? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. So I actually had to take a step back and work with someone as to why I'm the person that I am and how that had evolved um, with with uh, getting MS and, my mum had MS. I grew up, she was very ill. So in 1974, she was 27 when she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And then she was 33 when she got MS. She was 40 when she got cervical cancer and lung cancer at 49, but died from complications from MS at 49. And, you know, that helped me build resilience all the way through my life. I was three years old when I had to go live with my grandparents for six months, my brother and I. And so that was the first sign of resilience then. And is resilience a learned thing or is it something that we're born with? I think it's both. Every adversity that I've ever faced throughout my life, I've built more and learned more coping mechanisms and, and that. So the biggest thing for me is self-care nowadays. If you are not looking after yourself, you cannot look after anything else. And self-care doesn't have to cost a lot of money. It's not about going and being pampered. Right. It's not manicures and pedicures and massages. What are your go-to self-care? Like, what do you do on a daily basis when it comes to self-care? This is going to sound strange. I make my bed. Yeah. That doesn't sound strange at all. So the first thing I do when I get out of bed is make my bed. Then I kind of get back into it. And there's nothing nicer to me than sliding into a bed that's made. Yes. At night. I get a better night's sleep because I make my bed. And I've achieved one thing for the day. So regardless of what the rest of the day goes like, I've ticked one thing off my list and that's making my bed. I make sure that I eat right. Now I have a lot of food intolerances and so I avoid those foods and that's self-care. I make sure that I don't, I try not to speak negative to myself, but that again is self-care. Self-care is a, is a huge package there. Drinking water and exercising. So throughout the day I make sure that I take breaks and go for a little walk around the house if I'm full on or work at home. I'm still as I said to you, off there, um, recovering from COVID as well. I've got long COVID. So I haven't been able to go out for my regular walks, but that's normally a big thing for me is to go out and walk a couple of kilometres and oh, a mile and a bit over you. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> you're, you're, you're someone of the world. We're used to doing the, yeah, <laughs> the, the conversion. And so doing that every couple of days, that all contributes. I also watch who I spend my time with. Uh, So important. Yeah. Self-care for me is in order to to remain positive and keep positive, I don't hang around negative people. You are the sum of the five people that you hang around. Yes. And if you're hanging around with Mr. or Mrs. Whiny on their pity party all the time, dump them. Keep them at a distance. Don't spend too much time with them or call them out on it. Do you realize that you guys are always negative? Why is that? You need to go and get some external help because you can choose to stay on that pathway or you can choose to change for a better way. And I think that's a big one. Have you ever spent the day with someone or a few hours with someone and you come home and you're like, oh, I am exhausted. They have drained me of everything. Mm-hmm. Don't even those people, even if it's family. Like limit the amount of time that you're spending with them. I'm a huge fan of boundaries, especially when it's family. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like my family sucks. I didn't mean that to sound like. (laughs) 
<laughs> didn't mean that at all. But I'm saying like, if there's people that you have to be around because it's family yeah. or people at work, yeah. um, boundaries. Mm. Exactly. Exactly. And when you're hanging around positive people all the time, you get their vibes as well and the energy. And you know, I'll go off to a networking meeting where they're all positive and we'll go and hang out with some girlfriends that are positive and I've come home and I'm like, wow, that was a really good day. I'm all pumped up there. Rather than come home and go, oh God, I'm just so drained. I'm going to sit yeah. on the lounge and eat chips. <laughs> yeah, well, because it's contagious. So if you're using any biases to pep yourself up, after you've spent time with someone, that should be a red flag and that you need to look at your boundaries and you need to look at who your circle is, your inner circle, and work on changing it. And social media was a, a big one. So my self-care through the pandemic was I controlled what I saw. So I stopped watching the news. And, you know, I've had people say, oh, that's really ignorant of you. And I'm like, I don't care. That's my boundary. That's I'm letting in my head what I want to let in there. And if something major happens in the world, people will talk about it. And then I can do my own research. We, ha we are in such an information society. There is no way you're not going to know what's going on. Exactly. In the world, just because you don't watch the 24-hour news cycle. Yeah. And like on social media, if someone's boundaries weren't the same as mine or someone's values weren't the same as, as mine and it was really upsetting reading their posts, there's a little button that says unfollow. Yeah. And they don't know if you're unfollowing it. I've got two and a half thousand friends on social media on just on one of my platforms. And I can't see them all anyway. And it's just like, no, I'm going to unfollow them for 30 days, give, give myself a break and control what's coming in. And that really helps with your self-care. So, yeah. And that's a really important part to notice with self-care. A lot of times we think about it as taking action, right? So like people say, I always joke, it's not the manicure and the pedicure, although that's great. I mean, I'm getting a pedi tomorrow. I'm excited, but Me that's too. not. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> and that's and not... a manicure because the claws are, are looking at the Nice. No, they look, they look better than mine. But, you know, self-care is about what you take in so your food and what you're consuming be it yeah. through you know being around other people or social media and things like that but it's also about taking away it's also about looking at what is negatively affecting me like you said i think it's brilliant like not that i'm against drinking but if you feel like oh my god i need a drink why and that's a problem yeah like what's going on like why do you feel like you need a drink? like what happened today that makes you think I need a drink or I need, a, you know, a Dorito or. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, and it doesn't have to be alcohol because, like, I'm allergic to caffeine. So I haven't had a cup of coffee in over 30 years. And I'll hear people say, oh, I can't get through my day without having at least two or three cups of coffee. And I'm like, yes, you can. That's just a false belief that you keep telling yourself. You can definitely get through every day. And um, and like, well, what do you have? Water and life. You know, I buzz around enough now. I don't need an external force to, to give me a buzz or a high to get through my day. My self-care regime is in there, even with the MS, that I am looking after myself. So therefore I get that buzz anyway. Yeah. Um, and you know, and I'm not saying, I, and I don't think either of you, that we can't have anything like there's no, no have to be teetotalers. No, not at all. The difference is looking at why you're having it. Yeah, that's right. And all I have bad boundaries, or I call them rules for me. If I have a drink, I'm in a social situation because I live by myself and I have one of those addictive personalities and I'm aware of that. And I know that if I cracked open a bottle of wine, I'd want to drink the whole thing. Well, know that. How is that going to help me achieve my goals or keep my body healthy? And I don't know about you, but when I have a drink, I pay for it for the next two to three days. And therefore, my productivity level goes down, my mood goes down because alcohol causes, well, helps contribute to depression and I don't want to get on that roller coaster. So my boundary is I'll have a drink when I go out for dinner in a social situation. I'll go out with my friends on a Saturday night and I'll have more than one drink. And if you look at my socials, 
occasionally I'll live stream it when she's like, oh, she's out again. <laughs> Drunk singing in the night. But, uh, yeah, my boundary is, okay, well, when I'm at home by myself, I don't drink. And I'm far more productive the next day when I haven't done that. And yeah. it's being aware of of what your body does when when you have certain foods, when you have certain drinks, and when you let certain people into your life. And it, it's it's all about that in the whole package is is self-care. And I think something you said earlier, and I think it's so true, it's like these types of things don't happen overnight. Like if if you were to tell Andrea in the hospital when I was diagnosed with MS that these are all the boundaries you have to you're gonna have to have and these are all the limitations and these are all the things you're gonna stop and these are I would be like, hell no, I'm not doing that, right? But when you do it over time and you do it from that place of self-care of this is what I need and this is how I feel when I give myself what I need or this is how I feel when I don't give myself what I need, it becomes more automatic to where you don't really think about it. Like you're talking about like one of your boundaries is you drink, drink when you're home alone. It's like, I don't even think about drinking home alone. Like it's not even, it just doesn't even enter my mind. Right. And that's kind of how it becomes. You just, you slowly build on it. And some things work so well that there's not even really a question of going back. Or if you go back, it's like, uh uh, that's, that's like, thank you for reminding me. And I will never go back for the next, you know, five years. Well, I used to be morbidly obese. So I used Mm. to weigh um, 125 kilos. I don't know what that is in pound, but it's like, it's fat. (laughs) <laughs> and there's no, I was fat. I was really fat. Oh, um, was a size 26 in the clothing, Australian 26, which, uh, yeah, was even bigger. And I made a vow that I would lose weight and I lost 46 kilos, over a hundred pounds. And I've never put all the weight back on. Like when I got cancer and went on the chemo, I, one of the first things that went through my mind was, oh my God, I'm going to be thin. And that never happened to me. I put on weight all the way through my cancer journey and I ended up about 15 kilos heavier than when I started. And I'm like, yeah, of course that's going to happen with me. But I've since got that off. I got 22 kilos back off again. And I know that I never want to go back to that lifestyle of being morbidly unbeat. That's not who I am anymore. I have made so many changes and created so many good habits now. But it didn't happen overnight. For me to lose that 46 kilos, it's because I have another condition called lipedema, which is inflammation of the fat cells and resistance to weight loss. Uh, It took me 445 weeks. So that's seven years. Seven years to lose that 46 kilos. And it didn't matter because it was heading in the right direction. What kept you going during those seven years? A goal and a visualizing of what I wanted to look like. And where I wanted to be and the energy that I wanted. That's what kept me going. Yeah. And there's no such word as can't. It's like, okay, well, this is my goal. This is what I want to be. And we don't give up. We modify it. I've said that a few times now. And it's like, okay, well, this is working. I'll continue on this. All right. Well, this is not. And I'm always reassessing my goals and, and what the goalposts are. It's like, okay, well, this is not working. What do I need to do? in order to achieve that? What do I need to change? What do I need to modify in order to achieve that? And that's with everything in my life. So whether it's getting to a goal weight or uh, a business goal or uh, whatever it is, completing a course or it's like, okay, what do I have to do in order to achieve it? And and just go for it. And I'm big on rewards as well, Andrea. You know, What are your rewards? Depending on what the goal is. So, for example, with Morpheus coming out and publishing my kid's book, my reward for that is I'm going to Bali for four days. Oh, nice. That's, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Nice reward. Yeah. And look, but rewards don't have to cost much money. One of my weight loss goals in the past was, oh, if I got to this weight, I could go and get a haircut. But I wasn't allowed to have that haircut until I got to that goal. And the more it became annoying, like my fringe would have grown or I was in my fringe back on that, the more I had to then try to get to that goal. Oh, interesting. So, I, you know, I'm big, on, I'm big on rewards as well. But you can't reward yourself unless you've actually reached that goal because then that takes a, a whole um, thing around it. But um, getting back to what I said before about time, 
time to me is probably, I see it as the most precious commodity that we have. Because once that second's gone, once that minute's passed, once that hour's passed, you'll never get it back. So be careful of what you spend it on and who you spend it on. And that's how I live my life. So, and that's how I get so much done in one particular day or every single day. It's like, I'm never going to be able to repeat this day again. All right. I'm not going to wait for tomorrow to do it. I'm going to do it today. So I have a bucket list and I tick off that bucket list. And I'm, I'm claustrophobic and I'm scared of putting my head underwater and I've just been away to the Great Barrier Reef and I learned how to snorkel. Oh, I love it. I remember my first time snorkeling. Yeah. I was, I almost had like a little mini panic attack because I was like, I'm not in control. Yeah. <laughs> That's made an MRI machine nowadays. I have to be sedated because I had a turn on number 13. I'm up to number 21 now, I think. And I have to be sedated and... and the whole claustrophobic thing and yeah so for me to for me to snorkel was was massive and it's like well that's on my bucket list. I'm, I'm taking it off my bucket list and people have bucket lists but they never ever, ever do anything on them so I thought oh I want to do this one day well I'm telling you do it now you know wear your good perfume use your good cuddlery use your good dinner set don't have a dinner set they're only going to use 20 times in your whole lifetime because you only use it once every Christmas Use it every day. Wear your good clothes because life is too short not to. I want to smell good every day. I'm going to wear my $200 perfume every single day. I'm not going to sit in it on the shelf for a special occasion because there's not enough of those in our life. If I want to smell good, I'll smell good every day with that $200 bottle of perfume because it makes me feel better or whatever it is. Yeah. It's like a little boost, a little shot of, of happiness. Yeah, that's right. Why do you have three different dinner sets? One for this occasion, one for that occasion. It is isn't every day. Right. And if they all break, then go and buy another one. Right. But use it. Use it. I think we become so fixated on waiting for the, a special time or a special occasion or a special day to, to use things in our life rather than just getting it and doing it and using it and enjoying it. Yes. And the, and that's the mindset, right? Is that we're worth using yes. that $200 perfume on now yes. to tell ourselves that we need to wait for something is to tell ourselves that we alone are not worth it. Mm. We have to wait for somebody else or some other thing to make it a worthy moment. And it's not every day. Life is very, very short. And when you've seen and faced your mortality, like I have on quite a few times, I've had the family called in around the hospital bed and, and I've been knocking on that door, that you realise just how short life actually is and, and what do you want to achieve in your life? What legacy do you want to leave? And it's fine if you're happy doing what you're doing, but if you're not, then have a really good look at where you want to be and, and what you need to do in order to achieve that. And you can do it. Believe in yourself. You don't need anyone else to believe in you. You just need to believe in yourself. It's solely yourself. If you believe that you can do it, the less people you actually tell things to, the better when you're, when you're achieving that goal, when you're trying to achieve that goal. Because otherwise you have all their false beliefs coming in. And then you start listening to it. So if you've got a big chunky goal out there that you want to achieve, don't tell too many people to start with because they'll all be negative and you'll make people feel uncomfortable. And that is fantastic. Yes. Yes. When you start to achieve things or you start to make big changes in your life, other people can get uncomfortable. Yeah. Because... Because they're then looking at their own things in their own life right. or what they haven't achieved and what they wanted to achieve. And women are the worst at this when someone else has lost weight. Yes. Because they'll be like, you don't want to lose anymore. Don't lose anymore. Well, I'm not at my goal yet. Don't lose anymore. Because you're making them then feel uncomfortable in their own. And that's good. Right, because they're starting to reevaluate what they're doing and it's making them question yeah. themselves and yeah. people don't like to do that. And then they might go and actually do something about themselves because we all have our own choices. They might be inspired. 
or motivated. <laughs> or motivated. Well, Justine, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate you coming and talking about your story and the amount of just knowledge and advice and and ways to take action is just unbelievable. So thank you so much. You're welcome. It's been an absolute blast. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Live Your Life, Not Your Diagnosis. If you like the show, don't be shy. Please give us a five-star rating and review. Follow us on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, or wherever you're listening right now. To see complete show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit andreahansencoaching.com. Thank you for joining me. And until next time, take care.